Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go onto my website, theangelmedium.com and sign up for our email list. As a gift for signing up, I'm going to send you 31 healing meditations that if you do daily, they're going to help you tap into your angels and your own intuition. Start using these today and you'll start to see changes in 31 days. Now take a deep breath. Ask your angels to surround you with love, fill you with joy, infuse you with ease. And remember, your angels say that any messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And today we're here with a very special guest. Her name is Julia Mossbridge, and she is a multi, has multiple books out there, multiple time author. Her book, which I was running around the house trying to find because I bought the copy and it has the most pretty cover. It's like this blue that just brings in this piece, but then there's these stars on it. Um, It's called The Calling, and what Julia has done is created this science-based program in order to help you discover, energize, and really engage with what your soul's work is. And before we dive in here, I just want you to know, because I think our, our listeners would love to know this too, Julia really is this bridge between the scientific world and the spiritual world. She has this other book called uh, Transcendent Mind, which I think is another awesome one while you're shopping for her book, The Calling on Amazon to also pick up. Um, it's called Rethinking the Science of Consciousness. We talk a lot about consciousness here. We're going to start out with the calling. Julia, um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Julie. Julie and um, Julia. Julie and Julia. Yeah, I love it. So talk to everybody about a little bit how you started out because you have this scientific background. You have this spiritual background. How did the two kind of converge for you? This is one of my favorite questions that I've been asked and and I've only ever been asked it once by you. So thank you. This is, <laughs> this is a really good. So I, I think, I think this is a pretty simplistic explanation and it's probably more profound than this, but my my story about it is that growing up, you know, my father was a theoretical physicist, so very focused on science. And at the same time, he would have this sort of glint in his eye whenever he would find something in the world of science or even in the world of our house that he didn't understand and that he wanted to understand. And I could see that the discovery process for him was really it's like a like a mystical connection with the universe. I could see that this was his delight to kind of play, and that he would go into his science world and and you know turn out the equations. And then my mother was a therapist and social worker, therapist uh, dealt with learning disabilities and uh, children, adolescents, families, and so I could see in her incredible understanding of of what it means to be a human being, what it, what it means to have a human spirit and, and how people get hurt and how people struggle. 
And then every once in a while, I would see in her incredible, incisive, mathematical, scientific clarity. So I could just every so often, I would see this glitch. She was brilliant. You know, she still is. She's still alive. She's in her 80s. And, and she actually got divorced from my father and married another therapist who was a woman and, and still is a woman, still is alive, still brilliant. <laughs> and they again showed me together this, this combination of love and support for what it means to be a person and how hard it is to be a person. And at the same time, real analytical thought every once in a while coming in. And so I saw this balance. And so my simplistic explanation is I'm sort of always trying to unite my parents, the differences between my parents with this, trying to balance or bridge the spiritual and the scientific. I think that's kind of that's yeah. what, what it's about. And then it's also rooted in my, my, my mystical experiences and my scientific experiences that don't seem so far apart from each other. Okay, so couple things in here. During COVID, my family and I have been watching different shows. And then when you get done with a whole like series of a show, you're like, oh my gosh. Um, so we, you know, you fall in love with these characters and then it ends. Uh, so we were watching Big Bang took us like six months to get through the entire like series of Big Bang. And then when we got done, we were all depressed and uh, we were like, oh, but we have young Sheldon, you know, to watch and watch this little scientist on young Sheldon. And we just saw this episode the other night where his mom, you know, because his mom is really religious. But if you've never watched the show, uh, Sheldon is a scientist himself and ends up win winning the Nobel Prize. Um, spoiler. So sorry. <laughs> so his mom is kind of having this crisis of her faith and he does not believe in God, but he comes over to console her and he he uses I, I don't know the exact points that he points out, but he said, you know, if gravity was off by this much this way, and if gravity was off by just this percentage the other way, human life couldn't exist. Like all of this could not exist. And he said, I might not believe the exact same way that you do, but I do believe that there is a case in theory for a higher power because it's not it, it can't be that random that it's just this much this way or this much that way. Gravity is off and none of this exists. I love that show. And um, I also had the same feeling after it was over. Oh, it was, it was like there were like friends that were gone, you know. <laughs> uh, I almost considered starting it over again. But then, yeah, young Sheldon was there. Um, yeah, that's called the anthropic principle. Okay. So that's the, the idea that, that the fact that we are here is an indication of some kind of design. Mm -hmm. That's one way people conceive of it. I, I feel that we don't even have to go that far back to, to feel faith and find evidence of God, or I like to sometimes, because sometimes some people are freaked out by the word God. So sometimes I like to use the word love with a capital L. Yes. <laughs> You know, you don't, or nature with a couple, and right, look at all your I love yous on your whiteboard. But you don't have to, you can just go right into the now. I mean, right into the present moment experience of the life force, of the feeling of life, of being alive, moving through you. 
and to ask, do you create that? Mm. No. No, you do not. <laughs> no. Thank God it's there because it's wonderful. <laughs> it is wonderful and we don't create it. It's given to us. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So you have written a couple books on purpose and your soul's purpose and really coming into purpose. You have this book, The Calling, that really outlines it. How did you create this science-based program? Oh, yeah. So the first thing about calling it a science-based program, but I love that you're doing that, which is what I call it, is that many people think, oh, it's going to be, you know, a bunch of chapters with a story. Each one is going to be a story about how um, science supports whatever I'm doing. So like the facts of science are therefore leading to some conclusion that I'm then saying this will be helpful for you finding your calling, right? But the deal with science and the thing that I'm trying to get people to understand about science is that science is a verb. So science is not a list of facts. And we're often taught, people are often taught in high school and in college even, that if you're going to be good at science, you better be good at memorizing facts and understanding logic. And that's true. Like it will be helpful to be good at memorizing facts and understanding logic if you're going to go be a scientist. But the but what science actually does is offer a way to ask questions. Yeah. It's a process. That's why I say it's a verb. It's a doing. You're doing science. And when you're doing science, you, you get inspired. You have an inspiration. You have an intuition. You ask a question. And then you use your intuition to try to develop an experiment that will test an idea you might have. And then you frankly look at the answer. And I say, frankly, I mean, you try not to let your previous conclusions, your preconceived notions get in the way of really looking at the answer. And then you look at the answer and you say, usually, what 90%, 99% of the time you look at it and you go, oh, that wasn't what I was expecting. Now I have this other question. And then you have to go back in the circle and ask another question. So that's really what science is. That's really what's exciting about it. And so that's what the book is helping people do. It's helping people do that kind of prospect, prospect <laughs> interesting process. It's helping people do inspiration, intuition, questioning, looking frankly at an answer, making more questions with their lives. And it brings people through that process into three sections that I like to call discovery, energizing, and engaging. And all of those things are, all of those steps to the process are related to your calling. So what is calling you forward from the future in terms of the gifts you could bring to the world? Discovering that, energizing that, and then engaging that with others in the world. That's that's what it's about. And those three steps are directly related to the scientific process. First, you discover something, then you energize it. You, you sort of poke at it from all sides and try to figure how alive is this? And then you engage it in the world. You bring it up to others and you say, I think I discovered something. I'm not sure. Here's what it is. I'm going to move forward, you know, with love. Yeah. So that's the idea. Talk to us a little bit more about that energizing part and what you mean by that. Maybe like give an example so that people can understand. This is the part that people, I kind of think of the first part of the book is going to college. The second part is going to graduate school. And the third part is graduating from graduate school and becoming a <laughs> professor and going out into the world. So the energizing part is the less understood part because it's kind of what, in, what you learn in graduate school as a scientist is that 
there are very intricate details to everything that you discover and that it takes work and discipline and practice to actually understand them and master them. Mm. And the mastery isn't so much of a, I know everything now. It's more of a understanding of how little you know. Yeah. So it's like almost backwards, almost backwards movement. It feels like is. um, And so once you discover in the first, in the first um, few weeks, once you really have some words to wrap around your calling, what is now needed is to really test it from all sides. So it's a process of learning about your own gifts, um, learning what your deal makers and deal breakers are. So what do I mean? I mean, what are the things that come naturally to you that you don't even think of as really being important because they're so so much a part of you? So for I'll give an example. Like for me, my, my gifts are it's very easy for me to sort of see a 10,000 foot view of a situation. It's easy for me to, to suggest creative solutions to problems. It's so easy for me. Sometimes I forget to charge people for it in my business, even though that's what I'm supposed to be doing because it's just like breathing, right? It's that's easy for me. There are things that are hard for me, but those are not my gifts. And those are the things I need to work on. So discovering your gifts and your shortcomings. So something that's hard for me is remembering that I I need to include the whole team when making a decision, because sometimes I'm so used to being the one who has like all the good ideas in my mind, right? Some kind of arrogance that I don't include the whole team. And then like better decisions would be made if I included the whole team, but I, but I forget. So that's a shortcoming. And then the, the, the energizing your calling part also speaks to, deal makers and deal breakers. Mm-hmm. So what are the what are the things that when people do in the world it really is a deal breaker for you. Like the people I want to hang around with are not going to be people who, you know, torture animals. I mean that's a really extreme one, right? But like that's a deal breaker for me. If I meet someone who tortures animals, that's a deal breaker. Deal makers are someone who goes out of their way to help a friend who's having a hard time. So that's a, oh, that, that's, that's a deal maker. So you start to develop what I call a calling circle. So these are people with whom you connect to about your calling. That They don't even have to know they're in your calling circle. You can just sort of list them on a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> these are my people, you know? Yeah. Well, it's so interesting the way that you've broken this book down into these three parts because um, I think it's taken me so much time in my life to recognize the value of each one of them. The discovery part, I think, is a really fun exploration part. You know, like a lot of times when I'm in my sessions, spirit will tell people when they're trying to find their purpose you actually are holding a preconceived notion of what it is that you should be doing, what society told you you should be doing, what your parents said you should be doing, or your parents' beliefs, or other family members. And it's acting as this energetic almost wall between where you are and where you want to be. Friend, if the idea of connecting to your angels and changing your life using your very own spiritual gifts sounds amazing and is deeply resonating with you today, 
I want you to go on my website and check out my angel membership. Registration is open. Sign up today and you'll get access to new course content and events each week and a private community. Members love how everything you need for your spiritual awakening is all in one place. Sign up today, angel membership. It's incredibly healing. Also, the winner of this month's free reading with me is in the show notes below. Leave a five-star positive review of my podcast or book, and you could be next month's winner. Lastly, check out the upcoming events page on my website, theangelmedium.com, because we have a lot of upcoming events that I know you're going to be interested in. So if you just let go of all of that energy by kind of coming into Maybe you would call it pure consciousness. I call it oneness. I call it the energy of God, universe, source, right? In uh, Star Wars, what do they call it? Like the force, right? <laughs> um, it's totally, just it's the energy. force, yeah. Yeah, the force. It's this energy. And when you step into it and you're just returning back to the source of your energy from that place, you're able to kind of drop those walls and just go, no, this infinite possibility is in front of me to do anything and everything. What is it that I feel aligned with? What is it that I feel called to? And I really believe for everybody, you have to do some digging. You have to do some research. You have to really dive in and look at what all your opportunities are in order to kind of sort through and be like, this doesn't apply. I don't like this. Uh, no to this. But this might work or this might work. And then you kind of narrow down this list of maybe 10, 12 things and you can keep whittling away even more. Is that how you see it too? Yeah. I mean, it's a little like choosing a major in college. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, but there's so many interesting things and da, 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 or, oh, my mom said I should do this or this will make more money. All of those things are influencing you. And it comes down to, I like to, to talk to people about creating an inner lab inside their heads. So like, there's just a, like a sanctuary space that's a lab space. And, and, and people have sometimes a hard time thinking of a sanctuary space or a beautiful space as a lab. But to me, of course, a lab is the most exciting place you could be. So, you know, whatever. It could be your inner garden or your inner, you know, ocean hideaway. But, um, but an inner space where you can do experiments and you can try things on and that's really just your own and you can listen to your intuition. And so the first part of the book is really about helping people get back in touch with their own intuition and take authority over their own space so that they can make those decisions and choices and also listen, listen carefully to themselves yeah. to discover what the calling is. And it's really a discovery. It's not, um, sometimes we wish it was an assignment. Yeah. Like, a, like a teacher says, here's your calling. And you're like, okay, I'll do the thing. But it's a discovery and it's unique to you. And so you don't get to have the assignment. You get to have the, the work of, of discovery. And it's a much more open exploratory process, but it helps you tap into what's true for you by using your body as kind of a kind of an antenna for truth. Okay. 
here's where I want to go with this though, because the second part of really doing like the energizing and getting into the details is very hard for me as an ADHD person. So my ADHD, I get an idea, something comes through and I'm like, well, let's run with this, right? So then, and I've heard this from a lot of different business owners, right? They get an idea, they just get to work, they run with it. And then you get either halfway through or to the end of it and you're like, oh shit, I didn't really think this through. And you got this piece and you got this piece and you got this piece and you got this piece. Well, when you're a small business owner, you're all of it, right? Because what big business owners do is they end up having this trifecta of they're the visionary, they come up with the idea, they have implementers at the bottom who know how to really crack into those details. And I've heard it said that you need an architect in the middle. The architect can see the visionary's vision, but also knows how to communicate it to the people who know the small details. However, the the visionary, the business owner, and the people who implement it often don't communicate well with one another because the people who implement can't see the bigger 10 mile high picture to your reference before. And, and the visionary can't see how to implement it. So what are some like takeaways that other folks with ADHD and myself today can take away to really get into that lab space? Are there like specific questions you always come back to, to really draw out like, what are those small details? Yes. So this is, yeah, you're, you're right in the energized section. And this is, this is the sticky part. The biggest, not even question, well, I'll ask it as a question. It's like a pointer. And I'll ask you since you said you were struggling with that. So I'm all right. So now I'm asking you, Julie, um, let's say you have an idea. I'm sure you have an idea or 10 ideas right now that you're excited about, right? Yeah. Um, so Hold them to your chest. Put your hands over your heart for a second. Just think of one of those ideas, okay? Okay. And sort of walk around it like it's a sculpture. Like imagine it visually. So walk around it so you see all sides of it. And then as you're walking around and you see all sides of that idea, ask yourself, can I make this come to fruition completely alone? without the help of any other human being. Okay. And and tell me your answer. No. Right. It's never the case. Yeah. <laughs> Ever. That you yeah. could make an idea come to fruition completely alone. Yeah. So that's what this section is about, is about helping you acknowledge that while you hold a calling, you actually can't bring the calling into the world. You can't give birth to that calling. You can't enact that calling, however you want to say it. You can't energize that calling and give it the magic and the support that it needs without other people supporting you and supporting the calling and supporting the work. So this is like training the people who have the 10,000 foot view, which is what you get in that first section about discovery to actually learn to talk to the part of themselves that actually knows, even if I can't do the little nitty gritty, I need to know how to be with and work with people who can do the nitty gritty. It never ever occurred to me 
to think, to take an idea and to think about it as a physical object. Oh, it's so fun, isn't it? It's so fun. Because <laughs> that's what a lot of spiritual businesses are. They're all service oriented, which is all talk based or theory based. It's not tangible object that you hold, but that puts a completely different perspective on it. Can I ask what your object looks like? Um, so at the beginning, it almost looked like a huge, like if um, they were going to sculpt like a sculpture out of clay, like just a big brick. But then it transformed into, um, have you ever heard of the bean in Chicago? Like, yes, yes. Bean? Like that's what it transformed into. Wow, cool. Yeah. That's fascinating because in the bean, of course, it's all reflective and people see themselves. Ooh, I love that. And actually what I was thinking about is one of the programs that I want to create for 2023 and how I'm trying to build that out now. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like a very reflective program. That's really exciting. Okay. So folks, Julie's going to need some people to support her on this. Yay. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. And so then once you recognize that you're going to need people, then what comes up is the fear. Yeah. If I'm going to need people to support me, will they really support me? Who are these people? Will I really find the people? Will they be any good? Will I be able to work with them? What are my strengths and shortcomings in working with people and in, and in actually finishing things? Yeah. And, and, and what do I need on my team? And all those questions come up. So that's what answering those questions is what energizes your calling. That's amazing. So as we're just talking about this, I didn't plan to put this in here, but I'm just going to put a shameless plug in here. I do need volunteers. And actually, that's something that I've been working on the last couple of days is I do need volunteers who are good writers or copywriters or good at like um, creating different funnels, um, need help with social media and um, just a, a whole bunch of different programs that I'm working on. So if this does resonate with anybody and spirits bring Bringing this through and it's kind of tapping at your heart, um, please email in to juliejancis at gmail.com. We'll put that information in the show notes because 100%, I've been trying to think about how to build out a volunteer team for the past couple of weeks and Spirit just like presents it right here. <laughs> well done. So the couple of things I like about what you just said, you said it's shameless. Yeah, And that's the piece that, that often, especially women, but actually anyone who doesn't feel that they've been sort of on the top of the ladder in their life, that we have to let go of is the shame that we're, we're going to need help. Yeah. And the shame that we get to say to the world, this is my calling and this is what I want support yeah. for. And you said it shamelessly and that was really beautiful. So do you have any, how do you feel now that you've said that? How do you, so you weren't planning on saying that. So how do you feel now that you said that? I love it. I love it. And I actually feel like I'll get people back, like the right people who are like, no, I, I would like to help with this. Yeah, I think so too. Because you're, it's, you're coming from the context of this vision that you want to build with other people and you acknowledge you need their help. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you, Julia. Yeah. Is it scary too? Um, I think it was initially, you know, when you were talking about that space, like that you kind of create that lab within your head of like your safe space. I've created just a space within this podcast where I talk about 
everything. I have some mental health stuff that I've told people about. I um, have some body, I guess, image stuff that I've worked through in the past that I've talked to people about. And um, so I try not to hold back whatsoever. I remember knowing when I was in high school that spirit would come in and say, just share everything because two things happen when you share everything. Other people learn and you get the help that you need. And so I used that. Um, and actually spirits are kind of bringing this up too. So one of the ways that that came through was I needed help to go to college. Like I was not going to be able to go to college unless I made this happen for myself. And I knew that like college wasn't an option for me. Like I know I had to go to college. That's just how I felt. So in my high school office uh, or high school, there was an office like a career center and this wonderful um, admin assistant would collect scholarships and file them. And there were two file cabinets filled with all of these scholarship applications because this is um, 1999, you know, back when we weren't using the computers as much. So I filled out. 30 scholarship forms and ended up getting uh, a couple of them enough to pay for all of my schooling. And what ended up happening was in that moment, as I was applying for these and getting these scholarships, I almost felt from my egoic mind, this want to reserve that information just for myself mm -hmm. and not share it with anybody else because I wanted to get the scholarships and I didn't want other people to. And Spirit really worked with me and said, spread the word to as many people as possible. Spread the word of what you're doing, how you did it, get those scholarships in other people's hands because you will get the scholarships that you need, Julie, and then they will get the scholarships that they need. There is right. plenty to go around to everybody. Right. So I really took that to heart and I did. Like I was I was a writer for the newspaper. I would write about it there. I would tell everybody like it's not that hard to fill out a two page application <laughs> for these scholarships. Like just do it. And and I just felt so good opening that there's very, very few things that I close myself off on, like, and not talk about to people. I find that the more open I am, like, the better I actually physically feel. Yeah, I think that that feels right to me within boundaries. Like, there are certain things that I feel better just in terms of my family or whatever, if I have a boundary around. But there are things that can help other people. I feel this. Do you know the song Secrets? Mary Lambert secrets? No. Wait a minute. Oh, that's such a great song. I've just yeah. discovered it. Um, it's all about how she, she starts it by saying she's got bipolar disorder and her stuff's not in order. And she goes on from there. And it's just, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so I recommend that song. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to check it out. But here we are. So You've talked about the so the the going to college part, like you allowed this is really interesting, your your scholarship story. I I had a similar I, I dropped out of graduate school with my master's, which was in my family where you're supposed to get a PhD. Dropping out of graduate school with your master's is shameful. 
And I got a master's degree in neuroscience from like the best institution in the world. UC San Francisco at the time was the hottest neuroscience institution, <laughs> but it wasn't, it was shameful. And the, <laughs> in the cultural context I was in. In the and, Big Bang Theory, you're um, Howard. Right, exactly. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I totally related to him. Everyone made fun of him for not having his PhD, right? And so yeah. I went home to my family because there was some family stuff going on, which was part of why I dropped out. And then at some point, about four years later, I just, I was like, I want to get my PhD. I really do. But I want to do it my way. I want to do it a way that incorporates my understanding of the universe and that allows me to to say what's true in myself in terms of my mystical, mystical understanding. And so I, I was, and I don't want to move. I was living in Evanston, Illinois. So I just walked up the road to Northwestern. I woke up one morning and I had this knowledge, this in my mind, this knowledge in my heart, this knowledge that, that my work was to teach and learn about love and time. Mm -hmm. And I walked up to Northwestern, went, marched into their, admissions office and said, you know, I know the deadline's like three or four months past for applications. Um, I need to apply and I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> and I literally <laughs> said that to the admissions person. And she looked up at me in this very interesting way and said, come with me. And she, she took me to the back and she said, yeah, all those things are true about the admission deadline and everything, but we're going to do this. Because anyone who says they're on a mission from God, we're doing this. And so I like pulled in favors to get references and all in one day I finished my application. And then I said, by the way, I can't afford to go to graduate school. So I need a scholarship. <laughs> and she's like, all right, I know who to talk to. Boom, boom, boom. It was unbelievable. Wow. But that's the third part of the book, which is about once you've discovered and energized your, your calling, how do you how do you work with God? I mean, because really, it's what's true is it's not only when you look at that in in your heart this this image of the beam, you know that that's your twenty twenty three rollout. It's not just other people that you're going to need. It's the entire universe. It's God that you're going to need to support you to really allow it to work. And that's that's the engage part is God and the and the broader community bringing it out into the world. You really need. You, you need God. And so that goes deep into what is your relationship with God? You know, our relationships with God, get so, they, they get so confusing and so impersonal because of the things that happen in our lives. But this, this personal relationship, this like real heart, intimate relationship with God is what drives forward everything, right? everything that's good in the world, right? It gets driven forward by people having this personal relationship with God. And so to me, it's almost like the last section is like almost like relationship counseling with God and, and, and frankly, the rest of the world. I think people relate to God personally the same way they relate to strangers, you know? So if, if you look at, if you feel threatened by strangers, if you feel they're judging you, all these things are often what we think is going on with God. And once you draw God close by, by being willing to be close with God and, and doing that on a daily basis, my experience, and this is from a mystical standpoint, not an organized religion standpoint, uh, because while I'm Jewish, um, I hardly ever go to synagogue. <laughs> so I can't say I'm a super organized, I'm a disorganized religionist, I guess. <laughs> but um, 
there's this there's this thing that happens where, as you said several times, spirit will tell you, you know, you're in two-way communication. And that guides you, and that guides your calling, and that allows your calling to stay on the tracks that are appropriate for the time. And those tracks change. Those tra- tracks change as the time changes. But but with this close connection with God, you can navigate that. And so that's what the last section is really about. That's the engaged section. I'm writing down just notes because I'm just having like an epiphany, like as you're talking. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Cool. I love that. So you go to get your PhD to explore love and time and tell everybody what you find. Um, I find that the love part has to be, for me, in graduate school was all my internal work. So I did not in my science explore love at all in graduate school or even in my postdoc, just inside myself. So I had my, uh, my son. Uh, my second year of graduate school. And that was my way of exploring love. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I was warned against it. I'm only a second year graduate student. I shouldn't have a baby, but um, too bad because that's what happened. And it was the best thing ever. And, and that is how I understood love and all these little glitches inside myself where I felt that I, that I couldn't love myself for this reason or that reason, or I couldn't accept love from God for this reason or that reason had to be healed so that I could be in a a positive relationship with my son. And so that was the love part. For a while, I didn't study love scientifically, not until I started my own nonprofit, um, specifically focused on love and time, did did I start studying love scientifically. But uh, the time part, I had been studying scientifically for already years. um, And in graduate school, and in my postdoc, which I both I did both of those at Northwestern, I studied more about how the brain and the mind deals with time, like order of events, the duration of, of events, working memory, keeping things in memory um, so that we can use whatever's in memory in the current moment to try to, to, to do something like reading comprehension. Um, and then I started to get very interested in understanding my own mystical experiences that I've had since I was a kid of having dreams that represented events that would happen in the future in great detail. So not vague. I'm not talking about vague. I'm talking about great detail would describe an event that would happen in the future. And most of the time, these are just simple events or family events or events that happen to myself or friends. But um, when I was in graduate school, just about to graduate, or maybe just after graduation, so this was, I guess I was in my 30s. I already had my son. I had this dream about a bombing in Kuwait City, Kuwait. And I'm Jewish. This was a bombing of a mosque. In, and so I, I didn't feel like in my waking life, I didn't feel a huge relationship to this bombing. Right? If someone told me there had been a bombing, I would be sad. But there's no, it wasn't like a dream of a family member or something. You know what I mean? But it was very detailed, and I saw that they that ISIS had bombed this mosque during noontime prayers while people were praying, and I could see the mosque. And anyway, so so the next day when it happened, I had this. I woke up with this horrible feeling of this is one of those dreams that is going to happen. And then when it happened, I told myself, okay, I have to understand what's going on here because. This is the first time I dreamt of something that 
if I could have prevented it, I would have prevented, you know, I, I would like to have prevent, prevented this thing. And um, so that's when I started taking things more seriously mm-hmm. with studying uh, how information potentially travels in time, especially when you're in a, a state of unconditional love or the mystical state. This so I got so into fun. time travel. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so have you ever seen the movie Arrival? It is my favorite movie. I've seen it 11 times. Okay. I've probably <laughs> watched this like a hundred times too. So in the movie Arrival with Amy Adams, at the very beginning, she says something to the effect of, we are so bound by time and space. We see it, she says something like, we see it as moving forwards or backwards. But she goes, but now I don't know if I believe in that. And what I took and what I teach from that movie is it wasn't about aliens at all. I saw it as completely about communication and how communication really works with the other side, God, universe, source. Because when you're communicating and you're fully in tune with your intuition, your higher self with God, what ended up happening to her in the movie is she was moving through time in a different way where she would have visions of what was to happen in the future and it helped her piece together in the present how to navigate her life and i actually believe like that's why i do what i do and try and teach people how to tune into their intuition because that's all of us the communication with the other side isn't like you and I having to be here sitting, talking physically with one another. It's a telepathic communication. It comes through dreams. It comes through your intuition. It comes through a vision you get. It comes through an energy you feel in your body. Okay, let's dive into this. Like, Yeah, <laughs> it comes through all those things. And I like to say it comes. It, it's sort of the overarching concept is it comes through unconditional love. So when we're in a state of unconditional love, where there's no expectation of return, no strings attached, we just feel that we are loved unconditionally, and that simultaneously, we love everything and everyone unconditionally, that mystical state, I I strongly feel in my own experiences, that is when I receive information that's most helpful. And so I actually have done some experiments to determine whether this is the case. And I've shown that uh, you could do an experiment called a precognitive uh, remote viewing experiment. I'll just quickly describe it so that you can understand it and the listeners can understand it. But um, precognitive remote viewing, so precognitive means thinking before precognitive. And we often have precognitive dreams, like I was describing, where you dream something about something that happens in the future. That's very common. About 40% of people have that. It's quite common. So precognitive remote viewing is a kind of remote viewing, which is this technology developed by the intelligence community and the military to try to harness some psychic abilities that people have. This is a thing? This is, oh, this is a thing. Talk, well, wait, let's go, can we (laughs) sidetrack into that for a second? A hundred percent. So, (laughs) Yeah, it's very interesting and weird and cool. So in 1972, like way back in the human potential, beginning of the human potential movement in the US, 
American scientists and intelligence community folks were concerned because the Russians seemed to be developing psychic spies. And we were in the Cold War. We're like, we, we need some psychic spies, even if that's a thing. We don't. <laughs> Let's see if that's a thing. And started um, the couple of uh, physicists named uh, Hal Putoff and Russell Targ were uh, contracted out uh, by the intelligence community to look into this. Is this a thing? Do people have this skill? And they found that, yes, people, some people have this skill and it can be precognitive, meaning you can ask a question uh, like if you were a psychic spy and I was your handler and I was asking you a question, I, I would give you a coordinate. Like I would say 32, 29, 64, 8. And then you would start telling me what came to you when I said that. And that coordinate is linked to some question and that question can be asked in the future. So like, I don't even have to know as your handler what the question is. So, but you can answer it. Okay, so I'm piecing this together. This is one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had on this podcast. So, so basically what you're saying is that almost time travel is possible through a psychic connection, through an intuitive connection. I call it informational time travel. Uh, and yes, so there's mental time travel, which also I've studied, and that's how we sort of project ourselves forward in the future. And, and that's like the calling is you're being called from the future, right? And so that that is a mental process. And then there's informational time travel where you're receiving information that's accurate about a future event. And so those are two different kinds of time travel. Physical time travel is the kind we often see in science fiction movies. But in Arrival, that's really about informational time travel. Like she literally, spoiler alert, gets information to help save the world yeah. uh, from the future. Okay. Right. Break it down for me one more time, a little bit more slowly. So okay. the informational tri time travel, and what's the other one? Mental time travel. And then there's physical time travel. So there's three. Okay. So informational is more like arrival where she gets information to help, but we also get information. Like, I don't like to talk about it because there's some parts that I know people would poo poo if I talked about it, but it's a hundred percent legit. I had a dream in like second or third grade of exactly what I would be doing today. But I was like, nah, can't be, <laughs> right? And so I totally put it out of my mind. Yeah. But it's exactly what I'm doing today. But that was more of like an informational time travel. So I had this dream. I saw what I was going to be doing. And it helped me accept along my journey and come into it. Right. And so some people might say, oh, but that was just a self-fulfilling prophecy. You had the dream and then you did your, you did your life to match. And it's like, the, my point is it doesn't matter. My point is that, is that when we make these, you could do an experiment, by the way, to show that that's not the case, but it doesn't, it, that kind of is too technical. It doesn't matter. These kind of loops. Yeah. Because it's all a circle. Right. So Are we being pulled from the past or pushed from the future? The answer is yes. <laughs> Right. We're being both. And on some level, could we say within that energy circle, it's all happening at the same time? Yeah. And we don't experience it at the same time, which is why it gets confusing. So there's a difference between how we experience our lives, which is in this kind of order, and how the energy or the information is flowing, which seems to be in this circle. So it's like there's a line going through this circle. 
And so that's why we get freaked out when we say, mm, I had this dream about something that happened tomorrow, or when I had, had the bombing dream, or any of the or your experiences. It's it's like we forget we're traveling through our lives in this line. That's real. Like we definitely, I don't know anyone who dies when they're a baby and who is born when they're an old person, right? So we are definitely traveling through our lives in this line that seems to have a consistent order. But information is flowing in this circle. And these circles, this informational time travel is exactly what arrival was about. But that has a real impact. Like you can literally navigate your life better if you allow yourself to receive that information from the future. A hundred percent. That's that's exactly why I do what I do. This is amazing. Okay, so informational time travel. Ne- next is mental time travel. So mental time travel, I actually usually do this in the other order. I start with mental time travel because it's sort of easier for people to grasp. So mental time travel is um, what we do. So memory is not really mental time travel because that's in the direction we're used to doing, remembering the past. But having the experience of like connecting with your future self, even if it's imaginary inside your head, right? So sometimes people just feel better when they connect with their future self, or sometimes there there are therapies where people can go back to a trauma and they can be my, you know, be your today's self who knows that you're okay and go back and hold the hand of the self that's having the trauma. That happened to me when I was a kid. I I invented an older self that would hold my hand when I was being uh, abused. And it was very helpful. And so the mental time travel is shown to actually, I mean, if if you do it with love, and that's why the, t- the love come, has to come in. If you do it with love, has shown to really strengthen people and produce a more resilient way of thinking and also help increase hope. So that's why that's part of why I created um, TILT, the Institute for Love and Time, is to help scale technologies that can bring people this understanding of mental and informational time travel because they're both revolutionary in terms of helping people change how they live their lives. So you couldn't have known this, but all my angel members who take my angel membership courses um, know that I use that all the time in my meditations and my healings. That's so cool. Yeah. With different parts of yourself in the future or the past. That's incredible. So there's actual scientific evidence to say this supports your well-being. This helps the human being. Yeah. And we even, I mean, we even created our own paper, peer-reviewed paper on it. We took 96 people for a 26-day journey with a mental time travel and showed how it improved their well-being. Like, and people who had more childhood trauma actually improved twice as much. So yeah, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff. Okay. Then there's physical time travel. Have right. we achieved this yet? Not to my knowledge, but it's possible. People that physicists start, <laughs> physicists start talking about it. So, you know, when people talk about wormholes, sending something through a wormhole, yeah, they're usually talking about physical time travel, probably something very small to start out with, right? But you know how these things go, right? Scientific discovery sort of blossoms and goes exponentially once you crack open one door. So physical time travel may happen. Honestly, I think that once you have if people understand better how to do informational time travel, I'm not sure we're going to need physical time travel because why do you physically need to travel in time if you can just send someone some information? I mean, it's sort of like like a leisure activity, like wouldn't it be cool to see the dinosaurs? But like if you could if you could put, for instance get the information of a video of what it, the dinosaurs were actually doing and it was real, then that's informational time travel that makes you feel like you were there. 
you know. Okay. Have you explored like empaths at all? Because I think that they all live with this just so naturally in their day to day. Um, but most just don't understand or have the background of like how it all works. Yeah. Yeah. Empaths are, um, well, you know, we're both empaths, so we can relate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's real. And that's why I started bringing it up out loud as a scientist, because one of my favorite things to do is talk about things that you're not supposed to talk about as a scientist. I love it. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I just thought, well, that's my experience. Let's talk about it. And it turns out it's the experience of, of many people, especially people who had early childhood trauma, because it's one of the ways you can get out of it. Because if there's hardly anyone around you that you feel you can trust, or, or if you're alone, you need to create, you need to create a connection with another part of yourself. And that could be a future self that is older and wiser and is been through it. Yeah. And you could also, to that point, send loving energy to your future self, to anything that, that you're going through in that moment. It's so interesting. That concept came in for me when I was in eighth grade and my parents were going through a divorce. And I remember being in the car and my mom was just like verbal diarrhea, like the most vile things I think you could ever say about another human being. She was saying about my dad and I would talk about angels when I was two or three with my grandma. I knew the presence of angels and I remember feeling in that car, this immediate presence with me. I knew it wasn't an angelic energy. I knew it was myself. I knew it was my energy from the future, which is kind of where that came into play of like, I, I was self-soothing myself, but I recognized it as my own energy, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. Not outside of myself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels different. Yeah. It feels different. It's like, oh, I recognize you. Yeah. And I know that you're not me right now. Yep. And you feel like you've got some wisdom, so you're older. Yeah, we, we, we can tap into that when we need to. Yeah. And for people who are going through any kind of trauma at any point in life, learning to tap into that and knowing that that's not a crazy thing to do is life-saving. Yeah. So if somebody right here right now is at a point in their life where they're like, I need to get the answers. I need to know how to navigate this. Tap into your future self's energy and ask them what the questions are and tune into the intuitive knowledge that comes back to you. And if you're in a good place in your life, you don't have a lot going on and you've got a lot of energy, send that love to your future self in a space and time when you're going to need it in the future to wrap yourself in more comfort at that point. Yeah. And we actually built a tool to help you do that. What is it? <laughs> yeah, it's from the Institute for Love and Time, and it's called Time Machine. And you can find it by going to loveandtime.org, which is our website. And then one of the first things you'll see is a link to Time Machine. What is it physically? Oh, it's a website. Oh, yeah. And it's free. Okay. And it helps you, it has three, actually soon to be four functionalities that it takes you through in order. And it helps you uh, connect with yourself over time. And what was that website again? Sure. Loveandtime.org. Okay, perfect. That's easy to remember. Yeah. Loveandtime.org. 
Okay, so I know I got to let you go soon, but I don't know if you can remember, we kind of sidetracked on to time travel, but we were talking about another piece before. I don't remember what it was. Do you? Oh, yeah, it was the precognitive stuff. Oh, I wanted to say, right. So anyway, there was a there was a program from 1972 to 1995, training psychic spies in the US to try to counter what people believed was a Russian program. A lot of things were learned, but one thing that really stood out is that precognition was scientifically verifiable, including, and even a skeptic that Congress hired to look at the data agreed that one of the few things that stood out was precognition was scientifically reliable. Ha- having a knowingness that something was going to happen and then it really does. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean, to be clear, it doesn't mean every time you have that feeling that it's true. What it means is that in certain people who have been tested in a controlled experiment, this capacity is real. And on average, it looks like it's real across the population, just not as well developed as in in some people, almost like musical talent, right? If you surveyed the whole population, you wouldn't find that everyone was musically gifted, but most people could hum a song, right? So it's kind of like that. Um, But what I wanted to say is I did, I had this intuition from my own experience that unconditional love helps support this capacity. So I did an experiment with people who had never done it before. I didn't screen them for their ability. And I asked, I gave them a definition of unconditional love. And I asked them to what extent they were feeling that. And then I had them do this task where it was basically, you have two minutes, draw a picture of the next thing you think you're going to see on the computer screen, you know, a simple task. So they did. And then a random number generator chose the thing. And the people who had the highest levels of unconditional love were able to do the task And not only significantly better than chance, but significantly better for the people who had the lowest levels of unconditional love. And I just replicated that in a second study, which hasn't yet been published, but it seems um, like it's starting to show a picture that unconditional love is kind of a key to opening up your informational portal in time. Okay, this is fascinating because this book right behind me, I just wrote a book this year called um, Angels and Awakening, same as the podcast. And Spirit said, you have to start out with oneness. So what you call unconditional love, I call oneness. I call it God's energy. It's love, joy, peace, bliss, ease, and grace. And you can come into it palpably. So for the first month, I walk people through how you get into oneness, because what I say in there is you cannot develop your gifts to the nth degree without coming into this energy first, because because they're intertwined like like you can't listen to something on the radio without having a radio or a phone to dial into you can't watch a tv show without a device a tv something it's like a lock and a key yeah 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 wow okay I want to tell this to all the listeners because I've had this question for years and you just solved it for me through this conversation There are some people, I would probably say that probably about 90% of people, when I teach them my method of getting into oneness, they can feel something palpably. And it might vary a little bit, but I talk in the book about what they'll feel. There are a small percentage of people who can't feel anything. But what Spirit was saying as you've been talking is if those people who can't feel oneness, 
just tune into the vibration of unconditional love and imagine unconditional love surrounding them, flowing through their body, flowing through every molecule within them. That's the same thing. They're getting into the same vibration. I think I think that's right. That feels right to me. And I often I have a meditation on insight timer to help people do this, but I often I give people the exercise and, and I do this myself when I need to feel it of first of all, acknowledging that unconditional love is not something that you create. It is not from you. The universe creates it. God creates it. And you and you and you choose whether you're in it. And so I have people sort of look across the room and see an area that they're going to pick and they're going to fill that with unconditional love by asking the universe to fill it with unconditional love. And then when they're ready and it's all glowing and everything, then they walk into it. So it's, so it's much easier than trying to create it around yourself. Like it's coming from yourself. Oh, I felt it. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. It's like taking a shower, right? The shower doesn't follow you all around. You go to the shower. Yes. So you imagine the unconditional love, like beautiful shimmery cloud outside of yourself and you go step in it. Yep. Everybody at home, try that and let me know how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. That's so awesome. All right. Well, I don't know if you would be open to, but I'd love to have you back on the show another time because you're just, I think this is my favorite podcast episode I've ever done. This is amazing. (laughs) Wow. This has been really fun and I would love to, you know, let's see what the listeners think if they want me to come back on. And if you decide if spirit says yes, I'm all in. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julia. Your book uh, is called The Calling. It's a science-based program to discover, energize, and engage your soul's work. You also have the book Transcendent Mind, Rethinking the Science of Consciousness. And then if folks go to loveandtime.org, they'll find um, uh, the resources that you mentioned also. We're going to put all of that in the show notes so nobody has to worry about writing anything down. Um, and we'll link to both of those books. Thank you so much for your time and the work that you're doing in the world. And just thank you so much to both of our spirit teams for pulling, like pulling us together today because, oh, I just so resonate with with everything that you're doing. Same, same. Yeah, they did good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Julie. Beautiful soul, thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are sitting around you now, who's connecting with you, and how they're supporting you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a virtual session. You can do a reading with me or a member on my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the best they can to support you and guiding you to the life you want to live. Virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website, never, never, never offered on social media, only offered on theangelmedium.com. Sign up today.
And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn energy healing, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and business mastery skills. That's the Angel Reiki School. You can find more information on theangelmedium.com or DM me over on Instagram at Angel Podcast with any questions you have. Friends, before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hand on your heart, taking a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love in front of you. I want you to step into that love in front of you. And I want you to feel it as it fills your body, your chakras, and your auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? And open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you. 